we're going to be starting a new little series that we have. Um, do we have the slide for the first one to come up? And uh, uh, the title of this is From Zeros to Heroes, or The Most Hairiest Knuckled Man I've Ever Met. I didn't know which of the two to name it, so I went with the Zeros to Heroes, because <laughs> if you get a chance later in the service, just go up and look at that. I, this, this man's a gorilla. But uh, I looked at these slides all week long, that's why I was amazed at it. But it, you will see that this is in a way a continuation. And I'm going to tell you that today there's going to be two messages going on at the same time. One is a message that's going to be very applicable to you to encourage you to fulfill what God's asked you to do. And the second message that's going to be going on at the same time is God's message to this church that He will take all the credit and all the glory for what He's about to do. See, sometimes when God moves, we have a tendency to take credit for it. We sometimes like to jump in the front of God's parade and be seen and be noted about all what God's about to do. And God's saying, you know what, Mark, when I do this, no man is going to take credit and glory for it. It's going to be known that God is in the house. And it wasn't something that was stirred up or such. And so this message is also for me and, and the leadership of, of the body of Christ. So we're going to be talking about from going from zeros to heroes today. And, and it's really for those people who, who don't feel very gifted or called or talented. And I want to encourage you that no matter what stage in life you are, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And today and over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some very ordinary people that did extraordinary things through God. But as you read about them, you'll see that in the very beginning, they were considered nobody. They were considered zeros in society. And I see that so many people disqualify themselves for what God is wanting them to do because of excuses. Man, if I could just play the guitar like Dino does. Man, if I could just worship the way so-and-so does. If I could just sing the way... Uh, where's Sarah at? Sarah Heinzman. Where's she? Where? If I could sing like this person. There, there's so many things that we disqualify ourselves, and yet God has created us each individually. I look at little Phineas back there, our newest addition to Lake House Church. He's about what? How old is he now? Three weeks. Three weeks. Of no sleep. No. Uh, three weeks. And, and even while we were praying with Hannah, God created Phineas. God created him with a plan and a purpose. And right now we see this as, a, as an, a dependent little baby. But God sees the plans and the future and the future mate and generations if the Lord tarries with that child. And He sees that in every one of us. So we're going to be looking at people that have had an appearance of really not having a call on their life and seeing what God has done in their lives. Now, today we're going to be talking about Gideon. And if you've stayed in a hotel or motel in the last probably 30 years, there has been a Bible placed in the, in the nightstands by the Gideons. Now I want you to know, before that group of individuals started putting Bibles in all the hotel rooms, there was a gentleman back in biblical times in the book of Judges named Gideon. And we're going to be visiting uh, in Judges chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go take a look at what Gideon has to say. It's interesting because I've always liked Gideon. Gideon started off rough, but Gideon, <laughs> what the Lord says to him, and I'll, I'll just read this to you, because, and then I'm going to stop. But first, before we go in right to the Scripture, I want to give you a little background on the history of Israel at this time. So right before where we're about to start reading, this is kind of the situation. Joshua leads the children of Israel into their promised land. 
And as long as Joshua is alive in his generation, the children of Israel followed the ways of the Lord. And then something happened with that second generation. They started becoming spiritually lazy. They started intermingling with some other tribes. They started worshiping Baal. Um, They became very lax. And because of that, they became subject to the Midianites. And what we're reading when we start here is that for the last seven years, every time the crop and harvest season would come in, the Midianites would come in, in the Bible said, like a locust, and would destroy everything to keep the children of Israel in bondage. Man, there is so much going on supernaturally in this story because so many people in the body of Christ today are trying to do what God's called them to do and spiritually they're getting absorbed because of the locust. And we're going to be talking about why the Midianites uh, were, were in a position to do this to the children of Israel. But throughout Judges, the book of Judges, we see a cycle of God moving with the children of Israel. First, God would bless them. Then there would become spiritual laziness. Then there was idolatry. Then there was suffering. Then there was crying. And then God would send another judge to bring revival back to the land. So this is what we've been seeing all up to this point, And now it's Gideon's time. And so Gideon is one of the people that God is raising up to, to lead the children of Israel. And Israel's been sinning. Uh, Midianites have been attacking, and what we're taking on right here in Judges chapter 6, verses 11. We're going to read all the way through verse 40, because I want you to hear the whole story. So let's go into this now. This is what the Word of God says in that passage. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under Terebeth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abzerite. And while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the land of Midian. And now the Lord... And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. That's very powerful. I want you to see this. He's going to strike an entire nation as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Verse 18, Please do not depart from me until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes and an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket, and the broth he put in a pot, and he brought them uh, to him under the terebeth and presented him. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Verse 21, Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, 
and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he, that he was an angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord, for now I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built a fire there to the Lord and called, and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day it still stands at Oprah, which belongs to the Abazarites. Verse 25, That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that, is, that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that it is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did so as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Remember, this is our mighty man of valor. I'm going to tell you, okay. When the men of the town arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah, pole, uh, the Asherah beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. Verse 29, And they said to one another, Who has done this? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town came to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbabel, that has to say, let Baal contend against himself, because he broke down the altar. Verse 33, Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Man, I love, every once in a while when you read certain things, you've got to grasp hold of it. Just don't get so engrossed in the story. There are captions. And, and man, there's times I pray, Lord, would you clothe me in your spirit? And it says, and, he, he, and the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded, him, sounded the trumpet. And the Abzerites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh and all that were called to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Nepali, and they went up to meet him. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hands, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Verse 38. And it was so, when he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let, me not, let not your anger burn against me, but let me speak once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let, me, uh, please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. And God, did that, and God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and all the ground there was dew. Now, I read to you a very long passage, 
But I want you this week to go to Judges and read chapter 7 and 8 because it's an amazing story that I'm only going to touch very lightly on. But as you see what God is about to do and how He's going to do it, I think it's very important that showing this time what God is about to do in our country. What we're basically seeing, though, is that 32,000 men, bless you, came to join Gideon to fight the Midianites. And there were 135,000 Midianites. Okay, so you've got these numbers. 135,000, and I round up 32,000. Okay? Then God says to Gideon, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, you got way too many people. Okay? In fact, just make an announcement. If any of the men are scared and they want to go home, let them go on home. So they make this announcement to 32,000 mighty men. And 22,000 of them decide to go home, which leaves 10,000. Now, even if I were part of the 32,000, and you know guys are going to talk, I hear they got 135,000 Midianites over there. And I'm counting 31, 32,000 of us. You know, the odds are already kind of running through their minds, right? And then 22,000 of your group decides, I'm going home to mom because I don't want to fight today. I'd rather deal with the oppression than fight. And that's the whole message right there. So now we're down to 10,000. And God says to Gideon, you still have too many. Now, at this point, if I were Gideon, I'm going to be honest with you, is this really God that I'm hearing? Because I have 135,000 people I'm about to fight. I rounded up 32,000. 22 of them left. That leaves me 10. And now God tells me to start looking for the way the men drink water. And you'll read this in chapter 7 and 8. And guess what? It comes down to 300 men. Now, the Bible doesn't say what these 300 guys are like. I'm praying that they're the biggest, buffest guys, you know, just to make me feel a little better if I were Gideon. But you know what? We're down to 300 men. And we're about to take on 135,000 people. Now, can you imagine what's running through your mind and what was running through their mind if you were in this encampment and we're talking about how we're about to overtake them and for the last seven years, they've been coming in and torturing us. Remember, when we're reading the Word of God, place yourself in where these people are. What would your faith level be at this point? What would you be thinking when you're counting out another 299 people beside you thinking we're about to take on a mighty army? And Gideon is leading them and he's also wanting to show multiple things to us today. I have four quick points that I'd like to go over with you today. Number one, if you're taking notes, is focus on who God says we are instead of who society says we are. This is very important. God calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. Austin and I have a greeting for each other every morning. And we say, good morning, Manny, Mighty, Mo, Mo. No, we're we're not the pet boys. We say, good morning, mighty man of valor. I speak that over him. He speaks that over me. Even in the morning, when we're not feeling mighty, we speak that, we declare, good morning, mighty man of valor. We declare this. And what you've got to see that in his society, Gideon was a nobody. He truly was a zero. He even says this to the angel of the Lord. Do you know who I am? Do you know who my family is? We're not even one of the greatest in this tribe, and this tribe's not even one of the greatest. I think you picked the wrong wine press to visit. And so what Gideon is saying is, Hey God, I can't be used. You've got it wrong. You don't know who I am. 
God knew exactly who Gideon was. God knows exactly who you are. Not the perception that you want people to see of you. God truly knows who you are. Sometimes we may feel like a Gideon. Man, you're sitting under my teaching and and I'm encouraging you that you were created for a reason. That God has a plan and purpose for your life. Regardless of what stage you're in. Whether you're in your school years or whether you're retired, God has a plan for every day He allows you to breathe. There are just no vacation days with God. He always wants us to further His kingdom of God. Sometimes we'll take a year or two off. So you know what? I just don't want to do anything for anybody except for me. And God allows us to wallow in self-pity and take those times. But then whenever we're ready, He's always accepting us to take us back into His plan that He has for us. Some of us may feel like we can't do anything right. Maybe this economy has affected you and your family and you're just not able to do what you've been wanting to do. There's been multiple reasons of things that have been happening at work or at school. Maybe a test score came back in that you just felt like you really should have nailed and it wasn't. And it's allowing society to define who you are. And I want you to shake off what society is trying to impose a label upon you. Because we are all God's children. And notice where Gideon is in when the angel of the Lord visits him. He is in a wine press. Now what our culture doesn't understand is a wine press is a very contained area where they're, they're, they're pressing the, the grapes. But what he was doing is he was thrashing wheat. Wheat has to be thrashed out in the open because basically what was happening is once it's trampled, it is thrown in the air and the wheat falls and the straw blows. You don't go down in your basement to get a good breeze. Do you understand? And the Bible's even telling us that Gideon was scared. So Gideon is kind of hiding down in here just trying to do this in the, in the you know, low down so that he doesn't draw attention from the Midianites because of fear. So this zero that we're talking about, that God's about to turn into a hero, was operating in fear. How many people today are operating in fear? They don't want to have any attention. They don't want any drawn to them. They're just willing to to just keep their head down and go through life and not really affect anybody and pray that nobody really affects them. And that is not the call of God on our lives. God has called us to make an impact in the world that He has placed us. Your world is not my world. Do you understand that? The classes that you attend are not the teachers and students I'll ever meet. Your workplace is not my workplace. But God has you there for a reason. God has you to be a light. God has you to be salt to this hurting and dying world. Some of you may not know why God has called you and what He has called you to. And I am asking you to seek God because when He starts to move, that purpose is going to be fulfilled. Another thing with Gideon is that he's just going through everyday life and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord visits him. And I'm praying that the angel of the Lord will visit you in just a moment of everyday life. And all of a sudden, something with passion is going to start stirring up inside of you. And it's amazing what happens when the angel starts talking to Gideon. Some of us may feel like we don't have much to offer God. We need to stop focusing on people and what they say about us and focus on what God says about us. You see, God not only knows who you are, the important thing is He knows who He is. Do you understand that? God is not dependent upon you to do anything. God allows you to be a part of His plan. 
See, sometimes we get so self-focused that we think a move of God is all about ourselves or our call or our ministry is all about us or the amount of people that we impact. And it's God moving through us. That's why Paul said, I must decrease so he can increase. And that's what I see God doing in this body. He is decreasing us of all the, the things of this world so that he can be lifted up and increased in all things. Walking in love, walking in grace, walking as the children of the Most High God. That's who we are. The Word of God tells us in John 1.12, says, But all who did believe in Him, did they believe in His name, He gave the rights to become children of God. I am a child of the Most High God. You are a child of the Most High God. The nice thing about it is there are no grandchildren in the family of God. There is no cousins and second, fa- you know, second cousins removed which I don't even understand. But the thing of it is, we are all children of God. God loves Joe as much as He loves me. Wait, God loves Joe as much as He loves Billy Graham. Some mighty men and women of God. He loves us the way He loves everyone. I love what Dino said. The one thing that God can't do more of is love you more. It's always there for us. We are valuable to God. I know this may sound, but somebody needed to hear that today, that you are valuable to God. In fact, in Matthew 6.26, it says, Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or they reap, nor they gather in barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? You are valuable. And you know what's happened is somebody has been constantly telling you that you have no value, that you can't do anything right. And they point out everything that you do wrong. Yes, life is full of mistakes, but God is always there to turn our mistakes into promises. So it's important that we focus on who God says we are and not what society says we are. You need to shake off any labels in your life. You need to shake off any hindrances in your generation. You need to shake that off. Just because it's happened generation after generation doesn't have to happen to you. Because I'm going to tell you, the blood of Jesus will break any generational curse. Right, John? Come on, man. I need some amens on that corner over there. I got him over here, so come on. It's important that we focus. God is not dependent upon us to accomplish. He has chosen us. He's chosen ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Listen to what Paul wrote in Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. That's a very polite way of... (laughs) Never mind, some of y'all didn't get that. Okay. Some of you were not very wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might be able to boast in the presence of God. And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross for our lives. He became our righteousness. He became our sanctification. He became our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord. That's who the Bible says you are right there. Not what the world is focusing on you. Not what the world is saying about you. 
Gideon can't boast about anything. But Gideon was able to boast what God did through him. And that's what the message is to me, because I told you I'm going to be preaching two messages. God is preparing to do something mighty, and it's going to be where none of us can take credit and glory for it. Because it's going to be so big, so supernatural what He's about to do, that there is no way that humans can take credit for this. There will be no way that we'll be able to explain and define the things that God has done of what He's about to do, if we will just humble ourselves. My second point is that we also need to realize that God is faithful even when we are faithless. You know, in Judges 6.17, what I just read, and he said, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is, who, that is you who speaks to me. You know what this is telling me? That Gideon had very weak faith. First, Gideon is hiding kind of like in an abasement, so he doesn't get killed or is not robbed. And an angel of the Lord talks to him and tells him all these great and mighty things. And Gideon says, can I have a sign? Do you have a business card? Is there, do you have video? Something that, do you have a website that I could visit? Because I would just, it would be so much easier for me to believe you if I could just see something. I mean, I'm having this interaction with you, but you know who I am. I mean, you know, you met my dad. I mean, are you sure I'm the deliverer for Israel? Have you seen how mean those Midianites are? And how big? How many of us are telling God how big our problems are when we should be telling our problems how big our God is? So Gideon's saying, you know, could, could you give me a sign, God? How many of us, when he's saying, I want you to do this, we're saying, could, could you give me a sign? You know what's amazing is this, when you read this passage, Gideon was not confused about what God wanted him to do. Gideon was scared about doing it. Wow, I got quiet on that one. The point being is, though, some people know what God wants you to do, but they're not doing it because they're scared. But I'm encouraging you today that even when you don't have faith, God is still faithful. It is not dependent upon you alone. God is with you. It's amazing what we can see when we start spending time in the Word of God. Judges that we just read, verses 36 and 37, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And then he asked for a second sign. Well, maybe that was just kind of freakish. You know, that what I asked God to do, so I want a second sign. This time I want the ground wet and this, this piece of wool dry. Now that ought to stump God. How many of us do those same things to God, though? Well, God, if President Obama will give an announcement today saying that I'm to go in the ministry, then I'll go in the ministry. I'll tell you what, if God wants you in the ministry, President Obama will go on TV. There is nothing too difficult for God. But what he's looking for is people who will walk in faith and not have to have signs the entire time. When you have people surrounding you, encouraging you, and praying for you, they will be your encouragement to step forward. I've always encouraged my children that if it's going to benefit others, then God's in it. Okay? 
If anything that you can do is going to benefit others, God is in it. It's when we start focusing just on ourselves that I sometimes question whether God's in it. I want to encourage you that God has given you a mustard seed of faith. That's what the Word of God says. We've all been given a measure of faith. You may say, you know what? I've gone through too many trials. I don't have any faith. I don't believe that. Because we've all been given a measure of faith. In fact, 2 Timothy tells us this. uh, 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. You know what's so important about this passage is that we don't see God blasting Gideon for his week of faith. His weak faith. We see God encouraging Gideon and what he's calling him to do. You see, that's the message that the world doesn't get. They see God as someone who is ready to strike them for what they've done instead of seeing a God who's willing to encourage them. I'm about to say something smart here, okay? I am tired of the body of Christ being known for what we aren't instead of what we are. And when we start becoming who we are, the world's going to notice it and stop criticizing what we're not. You see, when you announce that you're a Christian, you're proclaiming Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and all of a sudden the world says, oh, well then you don't party. You don't do this. You don't do this. You don't do this. They're not focusing. You pray to God. You can hear God. You feel His peace and presence. See, they're not thinking that. They're thinking what they've been conditioned to think. What Satan has tried to, to destroy in their thoughts. And I'm believing that God is going to raise up a people that when they proclaim their Christianity, the world will notice who they are as opposed to who they're not. Because there is so much of a fuller life walking with Christ than I ever had in this world when I wasn't walking with Christ. There was emptiness when I was not walking with Christ. There was despair. My heart was broken a few times. But those weren't the people that God had planned for me. This was God's gift. I'm also going to tell you that in my life, God has never taken anything away from me and given me a cheap imitation. God has always given me better than what I had to give up. You can say, oh, Pastor Mar, I'll share stories with you. Then let's get into the Word of God and let's start looking at the Word of God. God has plans for you and a future and a hope. And some of the imitation things that we're holding on to, we've got to let go so He can give us the real thing. My third point is that we need to expect to be challenged privately before we can be used publicly. In Judges 6.25, verses 32, we read that that night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. Where was it? Who owned the altar of Baal? His, his dad. Okay. You don't think that's going to create some interesting lunchtime conversation? Son, um, who, uh, who destroyed my uh, altar out there to Baal? Rumor has it from the ten servants that you took last night was you. Verse 26, And he built an altar to the Lord on top of the stronghold there with stones laid in due order and then to take the second bull and Offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you cut down. God wanted to grow Gideon's faith, but sometimes He does that through making us use the faith He's given us. 
He is always going to start in smaller ways. I'm going to tell you. Man, sometimes we want to launch out in the big scene and we want to do everything big and grandiose. We're in Texas. Everything's big in Texas. Right? But sometimes God's calling you to the small things. Even just during meet and greet, I got to share, you never despise small beginnings. Because God is in that. Oh, but I just I want to do this and I want to do that. Great. And I want you to do it too, but God's timing is as important as His calling. And make sure that you're stepping in line with God. So the first thing that God asked Gideon to do was not go against the Midianites, but He's saying, you know what? Tear down that trash that's in your father's house. And burn an altar. And let the city know that things are changing now. And maybe some of us have to burn some of the trash out of our lives. Maybe our friends need to see that things are changing Oh, you mean you want me to be a witness at school? Yes, I want you to be a witness at school. You mean you want me to do something in my workplace? Yes, I want you to do something in the workplace. Maybe start having a Bible study during your lunch hour. Maybe there's co-workers that need that. The point being is, we'll start small before God leads us to big. In the New Testament, Paul tells us this in 1 Timothy 3.1. It says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. And if you read through that whole passage, it's talking about men who are wanting to be elders in the church and wanting to have a position. And if you read through all of this, then the qualifications are, if you want to be an elder, then make sure your home is in order. If you want the limelight, then let's make sure that your marriage is strong and that your kids love you. And I'm wondering today how many of our great spiritual giants that are on TV, are their homes in order? And do their children love them? And do they love God? I'm not judging them, but what I'm saying is sometimes we bypass some of the steps of God because of opportunity. And God's saying, I want you to make sure everything's in order. Because when the winds blow, you're going to need something strong to stand upon. And I'll tell you what, if your marriage is not strong, ministry is hard. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm telling you, it is hard. And man, there are so many times that Christen, God will give Kristen a word of encouragement or vice versa. And man, I'll tell you, it's true that there are times... Last night, Kristen came into the bedroom and she said, I want you to read some notes from your previous sermon. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. Amen. It got me completely off the mindset that I was and started focusing on what God has said. Amen. So it's important that God is going to start challenging us. If we're going to start doing greater things, there's going to be some challenging in our lives. I'm not talking about the big gifts, you know, or the big, big sins. You know, I'm hoping if I asked for a show of hands, has anybody killed anybody this week? There would be no show of hands on this. Has anybody robbed a liquor store? I'm praying that no one's raising their hands. But if I said, you know what, how many people lied this week? How many people lied a lot this week? How many people had lust? How many people looked at something that they shouldn't have been looking at? How many people went to a website that you know was wrong and would destroy your marriage, but you went anyways? How many of you watched a movie that you knew was going to destroy your spirit? When the word chainsaw is in it, that doesn't mean it's a wood movie, okay? There is going to be bloodshed in it. And it's going to give you nightmares. Oh, but it's so good. What? The poetry in it? No, it's the gore. But we love that. We want that. And God's saying, you know what? Get all that junk out of your life. We have set a standard in our home. 
And we, and, and we know that before a movie comes out, when it comes out, we check it out online, and if, if the, these words are being said, if this is happening, we don't go to it. And sometimes it's a movie we really want to see, but we've had to set a standard in our life. And we've said we're not allowing that into our home. God is wanting to get some of the junk out of our lives before He fills us more with His good. God's going to challenge our private life before He uses us in a public life. Are you going to do what God says or are you going to do the things that you feel like doing? See, that's a big choice that we all have to make. Do I feel like doing this? There's going to be times when God's asking you to do something you don't feel like it. And that's when you really got to get into prayer and say, God... Do I get to do this? And a peace will come into your life. A peace will come in when we have to make major decisions. Here's some free marital advice. Never make a decision if you're not in unity. It may mean you're not getting your way, but God's protecting you. If you don't have a a spouse, find some people that can be that accountability to you. Pray with you before you make major decisions. There's going to be times when we don't feel like being obedient. My last point is that we have to act in the obedience that comes from faith instead of worrying about the odds of success. Paul was a very interesting character to me. And Paul tells us that he was given an apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to an obedience that comes from faith. In fact, Romans 1.5 says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all nations. It's interesting, Paul did not have the internet. Paul didn't have a cell phone. Paul didn't have a megaphone. Paul didn't have AV. Paul never used PowerPoint. And yet God called Paul to reach the nations. I want you to put yourself in Paul's position. First, you've got to understand that Gentiles, that's us, most of us, non-Jewish, were not considered really worthy to the Jewish. And Paul's being called to that. That's like you coming to me saying, Mark, I'm called to have a homeless ministry. And I'm going to have a church that's going to have a thousand homeless people. And we'd be like, really? That's interesting. Yeah, I'm going to call them in from all over the world and we're going to have this homeless church and and we're going to just minister to their needs and we're going to clean them up and teach them and love on them and hug on them. Hmm. You see, all of a sudden the thoughts that you're having about that are what Paul was probably having when he announced, I'm going to go preach to the Gentiles. And how are you going to do this? I'm going to write some letters and I'm going to encourage people. And I'm going to be a people person. You talk about campaigning, Sherry. Paul was a campaigner. Because yeah. everything he was doing was per- pushing a purpose. Yeah. You understand that. Getting back to the story, I told you at the beginning of this passage that there were 135,000 Midianites and 32,000, and then God tells them to whittle it down to 300 people. These odds don't seem like they're very good odds. But what happens is He calls us to obey Him. And success comes from obedience. You understand that? Success will always come from obedience. 
You may think, how is volunteering at the church going to bring my ministry? How is stacking chairs after this service going to do anything for my, my, my workplace or my school? It's that you're being obedient in the small things. The things that aren't even gaining great attention. When Nathaniel's here on Saturday setting up, there's no one clapping and cheering him on. Do you understand? A lot of the ministry that takes place here is underground. And it just happens. You just happen to show up and your coffee's ready and the water's there and the chairs are set up and the sound system and the songs just happen to flow. All of that takes preparation. But all of that took obedience to following a call of God. So it's important that we understand that our first steps of obedience, no matter what is God is calling you to, you may feel like you're taking on 135,000 people in your workplace. You may feel like there's 135,000 people at Arlington High and you're the only Christian. You may feel that that college campus, you are the only one who seeks God. You may feel like you're the only person in your neighborhood who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you that there's probably more going on behind the scenes. But what God is focusing on is, are you being faithful? Are you being obedient? Remember where Gideon was when God appeared to him, hiding, cowering in a basement, pressing out some wheat just to feed his family. And read through what God does in Gideon in verses chapter 7 and chapter 8 in leading the children of Israel to victory. We spend too much time worrying about God's plan instead of just following it. I'm going to read that one again. We spend too much time worrying about God's plan instead of just following it. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And when He wants to debate it with you in a depth, He'll bring you home so you can talk to Him about it. But right now, He just wants you to follow it. We have so much debate going on and so little work. Austin and I got to mow the yard the other day. You see how I use the word get to, okay? He didn't have to, he gets to. Okay? Now we could have sat and talked all about the ramifications of mowing the yard. Father, how much, how much gasoline do you think I should put in the mower? And do you want me to go diagonally or straight up and down or just a zigzag pattern across the yard? By the way, would you like me to collect the leaves or just let the grass blow? Would you like this or this and this? And you know all I'm saying is just mow the yard. You know, because when you walk out the mailbox and the weeds are up here, you just want the yard mode. I don't care if it's zigzag, horizontal, vertical, whatever the case may be, just mow the yard. And sometimes God's saying, Rob, just mow the yard. Then I'll say, well, God, do you want me to do this, do this? He's just saying, there's got to be somebody, Randy, God says mow the yard. I'm, the eyes is the pastor going to and fro across it. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Maybe you guys don't understand this yard mowing analogy. But there's a thing called grass out there, and when you water it, it grows. And then... There was a plan there somewhere, the point. But God is just wanting us to be obedient. My closing passage here is saying in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
And what he's saying is, I just want obedience. I just want you to cry out to me. I just want you to walk in my ways. I just want you to make an impact where I have placed you. Every one of you is where you are for a purpose. Whether you're living in Red Oak, or you're living in Plano, or you're living in Arlington, He has you there for a reason. And He holds your future. And He knows your plans. And I'm encouraging you just to follow God with wholeheartedness. Not just on Sundays. But on Mondays you're seeking God. On Tuesdays you're worshiping like you've never worshipped before. On Wednesday you're out there saying, God, give me somebody today that I can encourage. Allow me to lead someone to you. Allow me to share the love that you've given me to others. Could you imagine what would happen in the world today if the body of Christ prayed, Lord, allow me to show the love that you've given to me? We would start a revolution. We truly would. Businesses would be changed. Relationships would be healed. Restoration would come. But it's all about us taking that first step and getting out of the hiding of the basement and realizing that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You've got to shake off labels that people have labeled you with. Shake it off. That is not who you are. You are what God says you are. And the Word of God says, Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. The Word of God says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You sometimes got to get a little bit of superhero in you when you understand what God has for you and the power. We have not tasted what God has planned for us yet. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm living on the crumbs, but God's got a table prepared for us. And one day I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You did some crazy things down there, but man, you were outrageous in your love and your passion and your zeal. And he's also probably going to say, and I love the way you treated my daughter. And you were very careful with the seed that I gave you. And you tried to love as many people as you could that came in your past. And when it wasn't always convenient, you did what I asked you to do. And that's what God is calling us to do. We've got to shake off the norm. And we've got to step into the extraordinary. We've got to start loving people like we have never loved before. We've got to stop judging people the way that we're so used to doing. We've got to get sin out of our lives. Because God has so much more for us. I feel it in my bones. We have had more spiritual attacks since we have started declaring it. And you know what? That's encouraging to me because right before breakthrough, you have to fight your way through it. Man, I wish that every good gift just came and was Federal Express. I knew it was going to be there by 10.30 tomorrow and I could just stand at the door and wait for it. But I've had to fight. And I've had to fight for breakthrough. I've had to fight for breakthrough this week. And I know that God has something great for us. But we're all going to have to start spending more time on our knees. We're going to have to seek God like we've never done before. Start reading about Azusa Street. Azusa Street was a storefront on the West Coast. Not a great thing that was happening. Not a mega church. Not a TV ministry. And God moved. God moved. And I have that kind of faith that God is about to move. And it may not be about us, but I want us to be in it. 
All of this has to start with a very simple thing, though, a relationship with Jesus Christ. There may have been one thing in this, life, in this message today that you related to. You say, you know what? Right now, if I had to rank my life, I'd rank myself as a zero. I haven't done anything great and mighty for God. I've never led people to Christ. I've never shared my testimony. I've never given anybody the story of how God healed my life. I've never told another couple how He restored our marriage. I've never done anything without expecting a reward. But God has a way of taking us from zeros to heroes. And it became through Jesus Christ on the cross. Because as I read earlier, Jesus Christ became our redemption. He became our healer. He became our Savior. And He's my Lord. And I'd like to give you that opportunity to make the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Not who you're going to marry, where you're going to go to college, but where you're going to spend eternal life. God is moving. Or sometimes God just tells me to be quiet so that you can hear Him. I'd like for all heads to be bowed and all eyes to be closed. And I know that some of you have said this prayer so many times that you probably can say it. Maybe God's preparing you to lead it for somebody else. But if there is anything in our lives that's hindering God from moving, if there's one of those hidden sins, if there's an idolatry bail thing in our house that we need to get rid of, while we're praying this, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal this to you. You've got to get rid of this. You've got to get rid of this addiction. Because as you're addicted to it, you're not addicted to God. And there is no other gods before Him. Our God is a jealous God. He wants all of us, not some of us. Not part-time Christians. Would you repeat with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and I am saved. Amen. Now if you said that, you're now part of the family of God. And God's about to do some great and mighty things within His family. And I'm believing it's going to start very, very soon. I'm excited and I'm scared. I'm being honest with you. Because what God's been just speaking to me, something big is about to happen. And He's been asking me to prepare and prepare and prepare. Getting the house ready. See, I'm raised in Florida, and when a hurricane came, you got ready. You prepared. And I'm not saying that God's move is going to be a hurricane of destruction. It's going to be a blowing force of power. And you've got to get ready. And I'm also excited for our country that change is coming. 
So if you could stand, I'd like to speak a blessing over you as we dismiss. And according to God's word, may the Lord bless you and protect you. And may the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. So go in his peace. God bless you. Thanks for coming.